Hi, this is Damien from New City, Orlando. You're listening to our CBR Bible Project series, where each episode we introduce a different book of the Bible as it coincides with CBR. To learn more about community Bible reading or CBR, visit newcityorlando.com forward slash CBR. All right, gentlemen, good to be with you. I'm here with Benjamin Camp and Jonathan Duckett. Today we're going to talk about first through third John. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. So I, I want to start at the end and a little bit maybe uniquely <laughs> here to start us off. And that is this. Tell me a time when you guys experience the importance of something that's authentic mm. versus something that is merely posing as authentic. Mm. When I was in grade school, like young, first first grade, something like that, I had a bomber jacket. Like it was... <laughs> It was so puffy and fat, and I had the, the furry collar thing going on. And oh, wow. I even think it had like patches as though I was like a pilot. Um, but I was in first grade, so of course so I worked. don't fly planes. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I thought I was so cool. I thought I was like, you know, Top Gun, uh, Tom Cruise level cool, right? Until uh, I realized that it was made out of pleather. Mm. which is short for plastic leather, (laughs) not real animal leather, right? And so uh, I realized that because it started peeling as things that are inauthentic tend to do, right? They're not usually (laughs) as good as the the authentic Mm -hmm. counterfeit typically falls short in certain Mm. ways. So that's my story of authentic versus counterfeit. Yeah, that's good. That's what I was looking for. (laughs) Um, So I'm reminded of a time uh, as is, it's not, a mystery that or a, or a secret that I love C.S. Lewis. And there was a time when I was in uh, England and I was looking for a specific book. And uh, that book was on English literature in the 16th century. Um, this book is really not published. And so finding it is really difficult. And so I, th- I happened across this uh, little antique bookstore in London. Uh, and I walked in and I asked if they had a copy of this book and he brought it out. Uh, and this book was probably worth $150 or so. Uh, and I, I poured over that book to make sure it was the real thing. Um, I don't know why someone would take the time to make a fake version of this, <laughs> but at the same time, the amount of vest- investment that I would have placed on it, uh, was worth the time to make sure it was the real thing. Uh, the downside is I didn't actually end up buying it that day because I was about to move to Orlando to go to school. Um, but the happy ending of that story is I ended up uh, opening a care package not too long ago, not, not too long after from a f- dear friend, and that was at the bottom, that book. So oh my. Mm. It's pretty cool. That's an authentic friend. An yeah. authentic. Oh, wow. <laughs> there it is. It You're is welcome. An Boom. Friend. Now, the reason that I wanted to start off with that question is because particularly in this letter, First John, Authenticity and belief really matters. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering, Ben, can you start us off with with how that un, un, sort of uh, how John unpacks that? Yeah, yeah. John as an author is really helpful because he does the same thing in his gospel, the Gospel of John, which is he gives a purpose statement. He's like, "Hey, this is what I'm about. This is, mm-hmm. you know, this would be a success if this was accomplished." And so at the end of First John in chapter five, thirteen, he says, "I write these things to you." who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you, may be, that you may know that you have eternal life. And so what he's after there is, is authenticity, mm-hmm. knowing that there's an authenticity to your faith yeah. and that that authenticity then would lead to assurance. Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of threading the needle between presumption on one hand and uncertainty on the other. 
Yeah. Um, he doesn't want his hearers to think and just assume that they're all good because, you know, they, they pray to prayer, right, mm-hmm. as yeah. we would say nowadays. Right. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, he doesn't want them um, in fear and trembling, wondering all the time if they really do know Jesus, if this right. is the real deal or not. And so he wants to bring this this assurance that's built on authentic faith, and he wants to bring that together and, and I think hope that that produces a humble confidence in his mm. readers as they read and meditate on this this letter yeah. and learn what does authentic faith really look like? What does it produce in somebody's mm-hmm. life? That's good. Uh, I agree. I think um, it's really interesting because First John is technically a letter, but I think it reads more like a sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you, I mean, you could almost see that that uh, five thirteen is like a conclusion, but like that concluding like punch mm-hmm. that the pastor really wants to make his audience walk out of his church with. Mm. Um, and also, I love one of the things that I think is really cool about John is he does. I think he does that well. He wrestles with tension really well, um, and he he loves this idea of duality. He's got a lot of light and dark imagery in his in his letters and even in his gospel, uh, and later also in Revelation. Uh, and so I think the tension between assurance and doubt, uh, which I think every Christian ought to wrestle with uh, in order to have authentic faith mm-hmm. is a big piece of this letter. So. Yeah, that's well said. And even, so then, one of the ways he gets into that is he's got these three tests mm. throughout the letter of First John. And so, he's got these three tests, and it's really your doctrinal test. What do you believe? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a, a love test. Who do you love? And then there's a moral test. How do you live? Mm. Um, and so, he's, he's concerned with these things. And he, as as Jonathan was saying earlier, he's even got kind of metaphors for this. He talks about light, how God is light. And light is connected, I think, with God's truthfulness, mm. his, his character, his brilliance. Um, he talks about life as this really important substance of, of who we are. And I think it's it's also of how you live, how you're actually living your life. And then, mm. of course, love is a really central theme as well. So light, love, and life kind of um, encapsulate all of these three tests that he has for what does it mean to have authentic faith. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's good. Now you've, you've already mentioned that this is, this is pastoral, I think, mm-hmm. uh, but it, but it is a pastor, right? John is, right. John is a pastor. He's writing in that role, uh, all three letters in a sense. He, he's writing to specific churches and we've been spending a lot of time talking about first John because first John is the most, the longest simply sure. put. Um, but I'm, but I'm curious, what would you guys think, uh, is the contribution of these three letters for us in the New Testament, what are what are some specific mm. things that we learn from them? Yeah, um, I think well, as it's already talked about, um, wrestling between doubt and assurance is a big piece to it. Um, I also think uh, this concept of loving the brethren shows up a lot in this in this gospel or in this uh, letter, and actually all three letters I think are themed around this idea of how do we love each other. Um, so that's a big piece to how it speaks to us today, because I think uh, the church at large uh, often struggles with that. Um, mm-hmm. How do we love each other, uh, both within each local church and also cross-denominationally? Uh, and so each church loving each other, and then even more broadly speaking, how does the, the Western church love the persecuted church in the East? Um, so that's a big piece, I think, that takes away with it. And also, um, I think the last but not least thing would be the person of Jesus uh, and how John talks about Jesus um, because I think there's no more important question that uh, a person can ask today or ever uh, than who is Jesus, right? Uh, and John uh, explicitly talks about that, uh, who Jesus is as the Christ. Um, <clears throat> and so I think those three things uh, all speak to to us today. And John is 
insistent that you don't separate the vertical from the horizontal. Mm-hmm. And so he's got this kind of uh, this line. If you say you love God, you know Jesus, you yeah. walk in the light, but you hate your brother, but you don't mm. give your goods to the poor, but you don't uh, give yourself away in self-giving love, then you shouldn't be so sure that you actually know God or love him. Right. And uh, even though the letter starts there in First John 1, he starts off by saying, if we say we have fellowship with him while mm. we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Mm. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. This is interesting. You'd think he would say with God, right? Because that's mm. who he's talking about. He says, we would have fellowship with one another. Right. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Mm. And so there's some integral link between vertical relationship with Jesus and with the Father and with the Spirit and our horizontal relationships with uh, our brothers and sisters in the in the body of Christ in the church, but also yeah. beyond that, our neighbors and even our enemies, as, mm-hmm. as Jesus calls us to. That's good. Yeah, it's interesting. So you have you have John giving us these three tests mm-hmm. in in First John, and we at least I can imagine certain traditions that we might be familiar with gravitating towards one test of mm. true faithfulness or authenticity sure. compared or over against the others. But yet John offers us this robust litmus test yeah. of what we ought to be looking for in authenticity. So for example, I will say that my personal proclivity and that <laughs> of our denomination, at least stereotypically speaking, would be right doctrine. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it might be easy to swing the pendulum and say, well, your doctrine doesn't matter as long as you love people. Sure. But what's interesting, and we were talking about this before we came on here to the podcast, that in Third John, uh, truth really matters. And obviously you read First John, it really matters. But, yep. but Jonathan, will you tell us a little bit about uh, a time or what's going on there in third John with, with a fellow co- uh, co-laborer of yeah. John's. Yeah. So um, what we know about Diotrephes, uh, who, if you read third John, uh, it's clearly John writing against this guy. Uh, he's a leader in the church and he is actively opposed to John and everyone that is for the teachings of John. Uh, and so uh, what we can kind of come to sort of see about Diotrephes is that he was probably a trusted individual until such time as his beliefs parted ways. He probably stopped saying that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus was not divine. He was not God. He wasn't here to save us in that sense. Or So, so certainly teaching something different as far as the gospel. And specifically, um, if you were to believe what Diotrephes was teaching, John was saying You're, you can't be of us. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so there is a distinct divide with true and false gospel. Uh, And so the importance of believe so that we can be one, so that we can love one another, uh, you see that those two things are inextricably linked. You can't have one without the other, and you really can't hold one above the other either. Um, And so um, you might almost, another thing that's worth mentioning is you might say that John wasn't being very loving in his treatment of diatrophies, but um, that's where that tension lies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the most loving thing that we can do is to call out each other on false doctrine. Uh, and also the most loving thing we can do for each other is to warn each other uh, of dangerous teaching and of, and of dangerous ideas. Um, so I think all of that plays into this tension that you're talking about and you guys are talking about. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what's one thing that, that reminds me of is... For example, where we started, that question of faith and doubt, authenticity mm. or, or not, 
that is something that has always existed. Yeah. And uh, I think that that's important to point out. Absolutely. I think another thing that's important to point out is that there have always been people who were of us Mm -hmm. visibly and then walk away. Mm. I think that I've been helped by a friend of mine one time in a different tradition who, who shared that there were, there were sweeping changes happening in their worldwide communion. Mm. And the more uh, self-proclaimed liberal people ask the more conservative people, are you kicking us out? Mm. And the, the majority, which was the more conservative and what we would just call general orthodox uh, Christians, were saying, no, we're not kicking you out. You're walking away from the communion. Right. And so we're asking for you to turn and come back. And it seems like John as a pastor would resonate mm-hmm. as you read these letters with that sentiment, Absolutely. like Diotrephes and, and some of these other unnamed people that he's clearly writing to mm-hmm. uh, are, are walking away. Yeah. And I think that that's a powerful image. Um, and what, what do you think that resonates with what you see in, in one through Three, John? He absolutely does. Um, and uh, to that point, um, what do we do when folks do that? What do we do when we see um, trusted people walk away from the faith? Um, it seems like it's happen- it happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think, first off, the encouraging thing that is that it's not a new thing. Mm-hmm. It's happened since the very beginning of the church. Um, you could say it's, it's happened since like the beginning of time, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but another way to be reading the, the first John, the first letter of John, uh, sometimes the Bible can be weirdly ordered. Um, but one way to be thinking about it is uh, if you're wondering what to do or how to think or feel about the, the instance of Diotrephes in third John, read first John because that's John's response. That's John saying, okay, church, Diotrephes has gone and done this thing. This is what he's teaching. But this is what I want you to be thinking about. Return to this. This is what we hold fast to. This is the important thing. Uh, And so it is pastoral. And it's always pastoral. It's always in love. Uh, It's never heavy-handed. It's gently done. But it's also without compromise. Mm -hmm. To that point, um, he regularly addresses his readers as my little children or Mm -hmm. as beloved, right? There's, there's this tender hearted, Mm -hmm. his heart is pouring out for these people. He genuinely loves them and and in loving them is saying, don't go out from us. Uh, Mm -hmm. Don't, don't depart from us. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not worth leaving the fellowship over this because um, if, if you were to leave, then you don't have a part in us anymore. Mm -hmm. That, to that point, even uh, one six in First John, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, the idea of the completeness of each other's joy is each other. Mm. Yeah, we've already spoken a little bit to this, but one question I find helpful is to ask: What do you think would help readers make sense of, mm-hmm. in this case, First uh, through Third John? Mm-hmm. And I wonder if I can be a little more pointed and just and say, potentially, what are some significant words or sections or phrases sure. that we could be paying attention to mm-hmm. in order to help us make better sense of these letters? That's good. Yeah, I will say I've got some personal history with First John, um, and that is that sounds that, complicated. Yeah, yeah, it is complicated. It's the Facebook We've worked relationship it. status. <laughs> We've it. It's complicated. That's right. Um, it, initially, I read First John as a new believer and still had. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not entirely reformed my ways, <laughs> not that I have now, right? But, um, and, and I read it and I was, I was really shaken by mm. it. And the purpose of this letter is to shake people. Sure. Um, it's also to, to give them confidence and, and assurance as well. And one of the things that shook me, and I think this is an important thing to be aware of when you're reading it, is that 
John really likes to speak in kind of these dualities, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's light and dark. It's love and it's hate. It's either you're in or you're out. It's kind of this stark contrast that he's making. And there's a rhetorical reason for that, right? Um, and so you, you get to places later when he says anybody who makes a practice of sinning mm-hmm. is not among us, is not right. does not know God. And you're like, oh my gosh. Polarizing. What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and so I think it's important even to start at the beginning where he, mm. he begins by saying, if we say we have no sin, mm. we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Yeah. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mm. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And, and I like that it's kind of sandwiched there, right? At the top, it's like, if present tense, we say we have no sin, mm. you're wrong. And then at the end, he's like, if past tense, you say you have not sinned, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the middle is where we want to live, which is confessing our sins, mm-hmm. bringing them from darkness into light, um, opening up our hearts before Jesus and before one another in a mm-hmm. way where we're letting the light flood in. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when my wife and I bought our house, we... We had this shed in the backyard that was was just a little it was like mysterious and <laughs> dark and yep. clearly nobody'd been in there for a while. And so I remember going back there and I kind of swung this shed door open and the the smell was just like dingy stagnant mm. air that hadn't mm. been really uh freshened in a while and I saw spiders that wow. I I'm, I'm not, you know, prone to exaggeration. Right. Probably the size of my hand. Like oh, just wow. gigantic awful creatures you live in, in this, florida that's right? believable. <laughs> yeah. and so but this is what i realized things grow in the darkness mm. things you don't want grow in the darkness yeah. this mold and mildew and spiders and and so swinging it open pulling the things out of there letting light and air mm. kind of into this dark cavernous uh shed of mine actually mm. made it worthwhile cleaned it out and so likewise um things fester in the dark yeah just like mold, um, things grow in the dark. And so John's calling us, hey, I'm going to say some hard things here. And if I say some things that put a finger on a tender spot for you, confess it, Mm -hmm. own up to it. Don't run from it. Go on record against yourself with your brothers and sisters and with Jesus, because that is how you're going to be forgiven first and then cleansed second, which is what we all need. That's right. Um, like you, I have a, a long and complicated history with First John. The first book, and I don't ask me to quote it now because I couldn't, but the first book of the Bible that I ever uh, committed to memory, or at least tried to, uh, was First John. Recite uh, it for us. <laughs> um, so I, I remember uh, – to be, to be clear, I think John is probably my favorite author in the New Testament. Um, John chapter 17 to me is not just one of the greatest passages in Scripture, but possibly one of the greatest things ever written literature-wise. John is a phenomenal writer, which is odd, uh, especially if you think he's the Apostle John, who was a fisherman. Mm-hmm. Uh, where did this skill come from? But uh, he is a fantastic writer. This duality that's present in all of his writings uh, is certainly something worth noting. And I think helping readers understand a book and an author, I mean, one of the best things you can do is get to know the author, get to know his style, get to know his voice, right? Uh, which speaks to something else John said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. Uh, what, so getting to know the voice of an author is really important. And so noting, I remember um, 
so as in seminary, of course, we have all these professors, and Dr. Mike Allen is one of my professors. Uh, early on, uh, in one of the first classes I took by him, I just started noticing, I, I learned his voice, and I learned who he was, and I started noticing certain things that he would say over and over again. And one of his favorite little, I'm probably going to get in trouble for right this, now. yeah, <laughs> uh, because if he preaches now, everyone's going to start hearing it. Uh, but he would say, it's worth noting all the time, <laughs> like constantly. And so uh, partially because I thought it was fun, and also partially because I wanted to keep awake in class, I would start making a tick every time he would say it's worth noting. Anyway, uh, eventually I gave him a cup that had every time he had said it's worth noting as a tick, and it was probably something like in the 300s of times over the course of the semester, and that was his Christmas present. Anyhow, (laughs) (laughs) the importance of getting to know an author, there's a joy to it, and it's important and it's helpful. Uh, And so noting those repetitions, seeing what he says. And so John talks a lot about light and darkness, but also notice when he says love or beloved. Uh, he uses love a ton in his mm-hmm. in his writings, and so no, like noticing when he says those, and know that they're on purpose when he says them. Um, one of my other and probably my all time favorite thing that John uh, says and writes is his uh, use of the word logos or word. Um, he uses it in. Uh, the Gospel of John, he uses it in First John, he uses it in Revelation. Um, knowing what the idea behind Logos is and the richness of the of because it's not just arbitrarily in there. He's he's drawing in not just Hebrew philosophy but even Greek philosophy at that point because Logos was not just the word word in Greek. It had all these connotations of like the isness of things, like what it means to be, and kind of all these high highbrow philosophical ideas. Um, but he's using that in direct reference to Jesus. And so your understanding of Jesus, John is saying, is is rooted and linked to your understanding of your ability to know what logos means. And so uh, noting when he uses the word word in in Mm -hmm. 1 John. um, And then finally, uh, again, other words like abide or in truth, walking in truth, this idea of, of moving forward and just kind of being and resting and existing and pushing in to uh, truth and light, or ultimately God. I think all of those things, when you have a, a good understanding of that imagery, uh, you'll have a better understanding of, of what John's trying to say. One example of that is in First John 3 when he says, and you can just hear John gushing, right? Mm-hmm. He, he's like, he's straining to try to communicate here. <laughs> See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when Jesus appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure." There's such a picture of we we are God's children now. Um, and yet we're we're facing towards this future hope of seeing Jesus face to face, the one that we that we believe even though we've not seen him, that we love even though we've not seen him, and and even that hope, that that anticipation, that desire, that eager expectation to see Jesus face to face, has a purifying yeah. effect on us, Absolutely. and that's remarkable to me. Um, that out of this genuine love from the Father, uh, we have this affection that pours out to Jesus, that that longs to see him face to face. And so I think to your point, Jonathan, about how John is 
if he is the beloved disciple, right? right? He knows what it's like to be loved by one of the members of the Trinity (laughs) uh, face-to-face. Incarnationally. That's exactly right. (laughs) Uh, Something that we will not know until we, you know, either die or Jesus comes back with his Mm -hmm. trumpet, right? And so there's something so powerful about his, he's captivated by the love Mm -hmm. of God the Father in God the Son through God the Spirit. That's good. Um, I love your use of the word long there, too. Um, so much of John's writing is just, like you said, drenched in hope and an eager expectation or longing. Um, I th- almost think of it as like forward-facing nostalgia. Uh, we long for something That's good. as though we have had it, but we haven't had it yet. Mm. Um, that already, but not yet. Um, so to that point as well. Yeah. In another text where he kind of gets into this, and this is maybe one of the more well-known passages, is in First John 4, in verse 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And I'm just going to pause there for a minute. There's something powerful about the fact that God is so abundantly full and flowing over with love that if you make contact with him and you're not changed, it means that you never made contact with him. Like I've got a friend named Bryant and we were friends in high school and Bryant is to this day maybe one of the funniest people I've ever known. And he's one of those people that if you just spend enough time with him, his sense of humor rubs off on you and right. you become, or at least maybe I think I became <laughs> a funnier person because of my relationship with Bryant, right? Mm. Um, and people are this way when you're infectious with something, mm. right? We use that word. And, yeah. and so John is saying that to spend some time with Jesus and not mm. become more loving like yeah. Jesus means either you're not spending that time with him or it's not the real Jesus that you know. Mm, right. That's good. That is good. I'm struck by the the tension that I'm hearing. You, you've noted tensions, mm-hmm. but as you read these passages, it's there. there's a lot of both ands. There's this mm-hmm. and that. There's already not yet, yeah. and there's a lot of process. Mm. It will be so. This is true, but this will be true, and so on. Yeah. And, and I'm struck by the reality that that doesn't seem very practical, maybe to some people. Mm. And so what I'm hearing a little bit of is as we read these letters, as we read what John writes, that we understand that there is a formative process that he is trying to lead his people through. Yeah. Uh, what does it look like to know God now, but not as you will fully? Sure. And what does it look like to be changed now, knowing that one day you will be completely changed in the twinkling of an eye and mm-hmm. so on? And so I, I, I think that that's a good pastor, Mm-hmm. You know, he he's speaking to the reality of what we experience, all of us, even himself, um, what we experience in life, and yet what life in the Godward direction, to, mm-hmm. to talk, pick up on what you were talking about, Jonathan, yeah. what that does to us and, and how that sustains us. Mm-hmm. And so one thing I want to I wanna ask now is we've, we've talked about style, mm-hmm. we've talked about uh, some of the different dynamics of the letters and even a little bit about how they may hang together. But I just want to ask it specifically, and it could be a a short answer, but I'm wondering if we know of a purpose or an occasion for these letters that might be helpful for us to keep in mind as we read them. Um, So I think that the, one of the occasions um, could be 
we'll start with Second John since I can say that briefest. But uh, so I read a little bit of Chuck Hill uh, in one of the books that RTS puts out, um, and his thought, and I think it's a great one, is that Second John, that middle letter, it was actually a sort of cover letter for the um, kind of distribution of the Gospel of John. Uh, and so, of course, the Gospel of John is going out uh, as the sort of final but kind of capstone to the narratives of Jesus's life for the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you can kind of read Second John, John in that light. Now that's of course not certain, but it's I think it's a great way to see Second uh, John, um, and I kind of already mentioned. So First John uh, under the the uh, occasion of false teaching, mm-hmm. uh, and also a lot of doubt. Uh, also bear in mind this is the early church we're talking about. They are experiencing persecution. They are experiencing distance from one another. I mean these don't these people don't have the internet. Um, roads are like the biggest new thing, right? <laughs> and it's so amazing they, that they survived. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, <laughs> without Facebook yeah, and Twitter, crazy. right? So, um, kind of putting yourself in that mindset of like, what would it be like to be uh, a member of a movement that didn't really even have a solid name yet, uh, and hearing different teachings mm-hmm. and being t- so unsure? Uh, you've heard of this guy named Jesus, but who was that guy? Mm-hmm. And hearing contradictory things, like you would crave news. You would crave white. <laughs> right. You would you would crave light. You would crave assurance and authenticity. Uh, you would crave the voice of your shepherd. And so the pastoral epistle, 1 John, was written to the church with that in mind, to give hope, to give assurance, to give peace, but also to give warning. Uh, and so as you're reading, I think putting yourself in that mindset, that's the occasion, I think, that, that 1 John and all the, uh, the epistles were written in. That's so good. That helps me inhabit mm-hmm. what that would have been like for a yeah. first century reader. Totally. Yeah, I agree. Well, this is this is where I want to close. I, I would love to give you guys the opportunity to share a favorite passage or passages mm. from these letters. Okay. Yeah, so I think 1 John 4.19 is a seven-word, at least in English, a seven-word summary <laughs> of the whole New Testament. Mm. Uh, it says, we love because he first loved us. Mm. So you have the we and the us, right? Who is that? Well, it's those who, whom Jesus has loved, those whom he died for, who he uh, purchased with his blood, who he's called to be his bride, his people, his church. Um, and and we, how do we supposed to, how are we supposed to live, right? Yeah. We live lovingly like mm. the one who loved us. And mm. so we love. But why? What is this all grounded in? What is this yeah. all rooted in? Well, it says we love because he first loved us. Mm. And it's interesting, like if you switch that, it is the opposite of biblical Christianity, right? right. He lo- he first loved us because, because we loved, loved right? Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. that is so contrary yeah. to what Paul or what John is trying to get across here. Mm. And so this picture of we are lovers because we've been loved. Yeah. And isn't that true mm-hmm. for even like human growth and development, right? Absolutely. Like if you growing up mm-hmm. were nurtured and loved and cared for and affectionately, tenderly attended to as yeah. a child, you grow up to be a more a more loving person who's able to distribute that more freely. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's something about who we are as human beings. We, we need to be loved first. Mm-hmm before we can then go give that to others. And so 1 John 4.19 is my, that's my like submission (laughs) for a, maybe the most concise, simple biblical definition or or summary of the whole New Testament. That's Mm. so good. That's good. Um, 
Yeah, I love that. I love, especially because it's so counterintuitive, right? Yeah. Uh, the idea of I am only built to love because I've been loved does not seem to strike with what I'm often told in the culture. Uh, and so I think um, the counterintuitive nature of that really speaks to that too. Uh, for me, um, maybe not necessarily a theme for the whole New Testament, but perhaps a, a, a you know a submission for the theme of the book uh, is First uh, John three nineteen and twenty. Um, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Mm. Um, I know that certainly for my for myself and for many pe- people that I know. Um, the idea of assurance of my heart condemning me is probably the number one thing that uh, that they they and I wrestle with. Um, uh, there's that hymn uh, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. I feel like Satan's doing that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the other uh, line that goes, "Well, may the accuser roar of sins that I have done. I know them all and thousands more, but Jehovah knoweth none. Mm-hmm. Um, God is greater than my heart, and so when my heart condemns me, uh, I come back to His Word. I come back to the light, and I expose." those condemnations to the light as well. And in that light, I think they get small and shriveled up. Mm. And so I think that's probably my favorite piece in First John. So I think maybe we should end where John ends. Mm. Uh, and so if you flipped to the last yeah. chapter, chapter 5, verse 21, he says, after talking, I'll, I'll even back up in verse 20, he says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son Jesus Christ he is the true and the true god and eternal life mm-hmm. little children keep yourselves from idols and you know he hasn't used the word idol at all in this whole book mm-hmm. uh, so that ending is it, it's kind of abrupt or punchy yeah. it's got this weird feel to it and so mm-hmm. to ask the question why does john end it this way yeah and I think because what he's getting at in the whole book is that we become what we behold, mm. right? And That's so if we behold in our imaginations uh, Jesus, the one who, um, not that we have loved him, but that he loved us and gave himself as a propitiation for right. our sins, that Jesus, then we begin to become the kind of people who give ourselves away in love yeah. towards others. Um, we are what we worship. Mm. And and so the converse is also true, that if you are worshiping an idol, rather than becoming more full and flowing over with self-giving love, uh, idols have no life in and of themselves. Mm. And so the only thing an idol can do is take, can suck, can right. become you as the worshiper of an idol will become leech-like rather than loving. Mm-hmm. And so First John 5, 21, I think is a good summary <clears throat> statement of the whole book in the sense of little children, keep yourselves from idols, yeah. worship the one true and living God, and you will become a living and loving person.